Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Got a great show here today. Did you know that according to the CDC that there are seven... 190 million people, that's 11% of the population around the globe that are without access to an improved water supply. It doesn't seem possible in today's modern age, does it? But my first guest today is looking to make the world a better place, one drop at a time. He is on a mission to impact 2 billion lives in 180 countries around the world within our children's lifetime. Get that? For high recovery water treatment solutions, Grant Page is the founder and president of Magna Imperial Systems, a company that is looking to solve the worldwide water crisis through sustainable solutions and technology. You're going to enjoy this. You're going to learn a lot. I did in this interview, and I can't wait for you to hear it. I'm talking to Grant Page. Uh, Welcome to All Business. Thanks, Jeff. Man, that was a mouthful. Um, (laughs) Where that really came from was when I served in the military and the Navy, and I was forward deployed in the Middle East, it was incredible to me when we pulled into these ports, uh, specifically in Oman, where we were trading 16,000 gallons of water per day, which is the capacity of where a destroyer has, and either selling it or trading it to these countries, even just to be able to pull into the port or to help the towns on what was going on there. And I mean, it was incredible to me to think, wow, you know, there's people in the world that still need this much water. I mean, because a lot of times I think the big problem with the people talk about the water crisis, but people in America really don't understand or people in developed countries for that matter, like to think it's some far and distant world away where there's these problems, but it's really everywhere. Well, and it is, it's right here also in the United States about taking water and making sure it's clean and cleaning water that we've already used in some capacity, whether it's in manufacturing, in bottling, um, in oil. I mean, there's so many different ways. And and you've educated me a great deal in terms of what's brackish, what's not brackish, what's brine. I, I had no freaking clue. Could I just thought, hey, water's water, but it's not like that at all, is it? Not at all. It's it's one of the most diverse things. And what's incredible about it is a municipality might look at something from 12 or 13 different specs, but someone like a Coca-Cola will look at 157 specs. So it kind of tells you, okay, well, how much do we really need to look at? And the bottom line is we're still learning on what, what levels should be in the water and what shouldn't be in the water. Uh, for instance, the movie Dark Water, where it talks about PFOFs, you know, we just we just really found out about that and the regulations of it in the last couple of decades, but we still haven't figured out how to take it out. What's PFOS? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> uh, it's a lawn chain carbon, but oh. it's used. It was used in Teflon and rain coatings, waterproofing, uh. almost basically everything that was in the kitchen for a long, long time, and it was kind of kept under wraps. Um, and also in firefighting equipment, even on military bases hundreds and I think maybe even thousands of different installations have tested for high levels of contamination, which what in the water it causes specifically cancer. Um, it's, it's widespread and prevalent throughout the United States and actually the world as well. So it's, it's one of the biggest problems that we're trying to solve right now. Well, you know, the other thing, Grant, I should have said right off the bat, because I know you so well, I should have said, hey, thanks for your service, which you know I've said that many times for your brother. In fact, bought a scotch or a whiskey too, or two for you one or t- once, right? And you've done the same for me, so I, I just want to say thanks very much. 
No problem. Just doing my duty. Well, we all have to do our duty. In fact, you know, I tell people I'm a business first responder. That's what I am because I, 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 I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I can't even make a freaking mask, you know? So what I can do is help tell stories. And I love to tell stories like yours. Tell us a little bit more about your background and, and, and how was MI Systems founded? And because I think as people get to know that story, as we go through this interview, they'll understand where we're going to go with this. So I actually started my first company when I was 16. It was a drop shipping uh, logistics company. And I sold that when I was 17. And my dad, he really pushed me to say, hey, what are you know, you're really good at math and science and these sorts of things. Why don't you do something that's good for the world instead of just making money? Kind of your business first comment you mentioned. Yeah. And in that process, I was trying to invent a better way to electroplate parts that was more environmental friendly. And instead, I came up with this way to desalinate water more efficiently and using less energy than anything else. Um, but I always wanted to be a part of the military. So I went to the United States Naval Academy. And while I was there, we, I used millions and millions of dollars in, in high-tech laboratories uh, for about three years to develop different prototypes and then was able to put those into action um, and at the same time, when I commissioned, I asked the military if I could start my own company and maintain the IP and develop it. And they, they granted me that. So um, actually, a week after I was commissioned as an officer, I started the company and, and ran with it. So for you, and, uh, and as we're listening, we're talking about water and making sure the different aspects of it are clean. What, what can, like this COVID stuff, can you, get, can you get this coronavirus through water? You actually can. So one of the things there's, there's tier one, tier two wastewater treatment, and then there's advanced water treatment. I mean, people use different terminology and depending on what politician or what city council is in office at a time, it's, it's here than that. But they actually have been testing at all these different wastewater treatment plants, which is obviously collecting all the waste from your homes if you're connected to the city. And they have found that it can be, number one, transmitted through waste in general. And number two, it's popping up in some of our treatment plants. So we're ha- one of the wow. things that we're doing at MIS is we're helping send out uh, equipment in a very short amount of time, weeks, which usually would take three to four months to be able to give high levels of advanced treatment uh, to guarantee what's called a six-log virus removal, which is 99.9999, four nines mm-hmm. after the dot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's, so basically, so talk about the MI systems and what you're doing, because you're basically putting a filtration system into the, I don't want to use the word food chain, but I guess in this case, you say water chain um, in terms of cleaning. So tell me what you do. So Jeff, our technology is the first actually patented hardware technology in water treatment, purification, desalinization, and refining since 1966 which 1965 and 1966 was electrodialysis reversal and reverse osmosis, which is more commonly used, which you've probably heard about. Um, To simplify those, reverse osmosis, you're just slamming something against a particle membrane and you get clean and dirty. Nothing real tunable about it. And it uses a lot of energy to create that pressure. Electrodialysis, two pieces of metal, charging them positive and negative and ripping everything out of the water. Uses a lot of energy, not very tunable. Our system uses electrochemistry. It's called electrochemistry nano, so electrochemical nano diffusion, which what we do through that is we use ionic membranes, 
with participating electrodes, which means we get to reduce our energy, energy usage and resistance and pinpoint all the different ions the way that we want to using on average 70% less energy than those two other technologies while also recovering 20% more water. That's phenomenal. Hey, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back and talk more about water filtration and what it has and what it means to your business every single day. Because I said years ago, water was going to be one of the greatest commodities you could ever have control or utilize. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. We'll be right back here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. C-Suite Radio. So I'm talking to Grant Page, the founder and president of Magna Imperio Systems, and we're talking about water filtration. So you mentioned a couple of things, refining, salt, brine. Talk to me about the different qualifications of water. I don't think most people would even know that, that it even exists like that. So I usually break it down into three categories. One of them would be kind of your ultra pure all the way up to brackish water. And the primary driver of all of these categories, it's what's called TDS, which is total dissolved solids, which is really driven by salt. And salt in ionic form is one of the hardest things to take out of water and usually dictates how much energy you have to put into the water. So these different categories usually correlate to more and more and more expensive or more and more and more harder to take the stuff out. So brackish water is zero to 15,000 or ultra pure brackish. And then brackish to seawater is about 15,000 to 36,000. The average seawater is about 36,000. And then it actually goes all the way up to about 230 or 240,000 parts per million, which on that higher end, the 200,000, that would be like water from the oil and gas industry, either used for refining or fracking, production, those sorts of things. So with with what's going on in this world today, I mean, there's good things and bad things, meaning on business. With business right now, there's a lot of disruption, but there's also, for a number of people, a lot of opportunity. This seems to be turning in an opportunity for you. Right now, we're the busiest we've ever been, Jeff. We've, uh, for specifically, power plants need more demand, so we have to help them out with their water. Hospitals, we're working with various agencies in the government since more people, it's incredible, you talk about all the doctors, you got a large hospital, 10,000 people, if they're washing their hands 13 times a day, and everyone's yeah. being extra careful, so they're washing their hands for an extra 30 seconds, well, there's not enough water, demand, supply and demand in the, in the buildings, or for the cooling towers and chillers and air conditioning to even keep up with that. So one thing we do is we can apply our system to those buildings and allow them to recover more water so that they don't have to pull more for the city, which might not be available. And as well, we can test for and make sure there's not COVID in the water or any other sanitation um, issues. So, and how does your system work? How do you deploy your system? You said we, we, we get our systems out there. What's, what's that mean? Because normally when you're talking about, I don't know, large infrastructure changes, it's, uh, it takes years for that. Yes, yes, indeed. So as I mentioned earlier, a destroyer being able to do 16,000 gallons a day, right? And that's a 500 foot long ship. We can do up to 50,000 gallons on a four by four by four pallet. And in a 40 foot Connex box, we could do up to a half a million gallons per day. And I can build one of those 40 foot Connex boxes every week. Wow, that's phenomenal. So how did you, how did you guys... How did you and a bunch of Brainiac guys come up with this? <laughs> well, Jeff, a lot of it was uh, luck. 
Uh, yeah. you know, everything's got a little bit of luck in it, but a lot, but honestly, it was a lot of hard work. I mean, one of the big benefits of MI systems was we had the backing of the Navy and top laboratories. There was 23 scientists and engineers on my team from the Naval Academy to the Naval Research Labs in DC, the Naval Research Labs in Florida. And, you know, everyone either had a double master's or a PhD, except me. I'm, I'm probably the least educated person in my entire company. Um, but it took a long time and a lot of money and a lot of trial and error to be able to figure it out. And at the end of all of that money, we were left with electrodes that were $1,000 a square inch, membranes that were $2,000 a square inch. Um, now our membranes, every, everything in our system, we fully vertically integrated the entire system, the entire supply chain in-house with MI Systems. So everything that's built, everything that's assembled is all done by MIS employees and owned by MIS employees. We have over 473 patents. We have more patents than the top three water companies combined in electrochemical water treatment. And in that process, we're able to now have membranes for less than cents per square inch and membranes even a tenth of that. Sorry, electrodes even a tenth of that. So it's, it's pretty exciting. So Jim Wilkie just wrote in and asked us a question. He said, are you using magnets to purify water? <laughs> no, we're not. We, how, about we, a uh, how about a, how about a copper bracelet? Maybe a copper bracelet. No, I'm just easy. <laughs> That's it. He, he, he figured it out. There's the patent right there. File that. No, that's the patent. No, but uh, explain, well, explain how you do it. Because I think it's a, I've seen how you've done it. I've seen the systems I've set in your conference room before. And I'm just totally impressed with all that you and the, other young men and women that are working in your company are doing because it's phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. So if we compare it back to the electrodialysis I was talking about, the positive and negative that are charged and everything's ripped out, that system uses non-participating electrodes, which the way you explain that is it's more like a fuel cell, right? The idea of a hydrogen fuel cell is brilliant because the electrodes are non-participating, which means they never break down. And as long as you have a fuel source, hydrogen, cheap, then it lasts forever because it's capturing all the energy from the fuel. Now, obviously there's the explosive part, but that's how a fuel cell works where a battery uses non, uh, sorry, uses participating electrodes. So your car battery runs, stuff falls off of these electrodes, the alternator runs and puts that stuff back on it. We have a similar kind of principle in our cells by using participating electrodes. And when you use participating versus non-participating there's less startup energy when you start to push that water through it to separate it. So that helps lower the energy a lot, which 70% of the cost of cleaning water is energy. So that helps out reduce that a lot. And then most stacks are usually eight feet tall and four feet wide. Our block is about this big, about square foot total, including everything. So I'm only passing current and separating stuff in a, in a space about this big and then I'm packing 800 layers of anion and cation membranes between there. So all of the negative stuff, the anions go one way and all the cations, all the positive stuff goes the other way. And there's very, very low resistance because it's packed so tight. And these materials that we used are all very patented specific materials. So the resistance is almost at less than one uh, ohm. So there's not much energy that has to be used to separate out the ions, and there's very low pressure. Our system operates between about 5 and 10 PSI. Well, that's amazing. So 
And so with all of the change that's going on during this pandemic, uh, how have you shifted your focus? Um, we're really trying to focus more primarily on municipalities, wastewater, and hospitals right now. Um, and then also we're trying to help the oil and gas industry out uh, right now as well, because the oil and gas industry for the first time, the majors, the Chevrons, Oxy, Shell, those kind of companies, they never paid too much attention to really investing a lot into water. They do spend a lot of money on water, but the way the oil industry works is usually, hey, I want that oil, I want that stuff out of the ground and sold as fast as possible and everything else, I don't care what it costs because the selling it as fast as possible is where I'm making all my money. If I lose five or $10 over here or there, who cares? Well, when oil's at $20 a barrel and now the economics are looking, yeah. the economics are looking at it going, Hey, we're spending five to $8 a barrel on water. <laughs> How can we solve this? So one thing we're doing right now is we're solving kind of uh, three problems in one. We're taking the produced water, which is for every barrel of oil you pull out of the ground in America, on average, four barrels of water comes out with it. And that water is six to seven to eight times dirtier than seawater and has radioactive material in it and dangerous gases and heavy metals. And what we do is we separate all those things out. So that produced water comes out of the ground. We separate it into oil, salt, crystallized salt, fresh water, potable water, ions, other ions like lithium and boron. And then we sell all those separately. So one, we reduce the cost for the oil and gas up to five to $7 a barrel even. And then we sell the fresh water to agriculture for reuse. And we sell the potable water to either industries um, or waste treatment plants. Well, I tell you what, I want to come back and ask about sustainability because uh, around all of these industries, there's always some uh, type of altering of the products that we use, right? I mean, it does in some way, shape, or form. So I want to talk about that. We'll come right back after we take this quick break. C-Suite Radio. I'm talking with Grant Page, the founder and president of Magna Imperio Systems, right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett live. Uh, on C-Suite Radio. So I, right before the break, we talked about um, sustainability. So talk to me a little bit about sustainability and how you're helping that because this technology seems to be aiding a great deal uh, in helping these industries put water back that's actually better than what they got. Correct, Jeff. So a lot of the different industries, specifically in industrial, not in what you might think where water comes from, the waste treatment plants, municipalities, those sorts of things, but really businesses like you talked about, that's the most the primary driver of either dirty water um, or sustainability so that there's less demand on the municipalities and those sorts of things. Uh, to give you an example, when Exxon goes and opens up a plant in, uh, like they did in Texas, there was the municipality had enough water to supply all of the homes and everything and all the businesses going on, but just adding that one extra business and it, you can substitute Exxon with, you know, a large company X and that that one business uses as much water as the municipality plant. So now that company has to either figure out how to reuse their water as much as possible, or they have to build an entire another plant just to supply their business. So one thing that we do from that level of uh, involvement all the way down to even a hotel or a, like we talked about earlier, a hospital, is we will collect all of the wastewater 
from those buildings, from those companies, and we'll recover up to 99% of the water and we'll make it, as you said, cleaner than what they had coming into the plant before, which now reduces the amount of water that they have to buy from the city, which costs money, and reduces the amount of water they have to discharge to the city, which costs money. Um, and it's helping the environment because they're not pulling more uh, from the grid and they're not putting wastewater into the environment. Hey, Grant, in the, in the minute that we have left, why don't you give us a little bit about the Page uh, Foundation, I, uh, the Family Foundation. I'd like to you give a little plug because you're doing some good stuff there. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. So a, cu- a couple of years ago, I looked at, okay, well, hey, you know, I'm doing pretty well now and I'd like to give some money away to, to water nonprofits. So I hired some people to rank all the top 10 water nonprofits from an impact to dollar ratio and what I, which means how much for every dollar or how much does it cost to give one person water sustainable for one month? Um, that, that means about five gallons per day for 30 days. And what I found was the top three nonprofits were anywhere from $33 to one person all the way up to $500 to one person. And I'm going, this just doesn't make sense. What's going on? And I started to look into it. And while a lot of them are doing really great work, most of the deployments are just a, you know, a handheld filter or a clay pot or digging a well. There's no real tech that's involved in it to make sure that the water being delivered to these people is quality, like the water coming from the municipality plants in developed countries. So I said, well, I need to do something about this. So I started our own foundation. On average, it takes foundations seven years to give water to a million people. We did a million people in less than nine months. Um, and now we're in over 18 countries and our average impact dollar ratio is two to one. Wow, fantastic. Well, keep it up, my friend. Thank you for what you're doing for business, doing for the country and doing for people who need clean water because this is the name of the game. We've been talking with Grant Page, founder and president of Magna Imperial Systems. Uh, you go check them out. And if, if, you, if you're in any way, shape or form involved with water, you need to see what this technology is all about because it is fantastic. And we're so glad to have you right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett live on C-Suite Radio. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And of course, uh, if you're listening to the show, I got another guest coming right up. We're going to be talking about pricing because I think you got to learn how to price in this new world. And of course, pricing is at the core of uh, your profitability and of course, as your sales growth. So we're going to do that. But I learned on this show today with Grant Page from MI Systems, um, hey man, I learned I don't know squat about water. That's what I learned. And I am so glad that there are smart, capable people out there that are looking at this and they're trying to take all of these toxins and all of these um, impurities out of water, out of water. I, you know, I used to think, hey, it's just water. No, it's not. And the more that we, you know, we put into the water, the more we got to take out. And that's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Every business owner I know has always got to think about pricing. How does one become a pricing expert? My next guest is a serial entrepreneur who grew frustrated with how business schools were teaching students about pricing. It was too abstract. It was too academic and not enough practical advice or insight. So he started a company that uses a practical approach to selling more with price-specific market research. I'm talking about Pierre Showforce, he's the founder of Atenia Insights, a company that is revolutionizing the market with predictive pricing. Pierre, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. 
here. How did you get started with pricing? Well, it was just like you said, and thank you for having me, by the way. Uh, it was just like you said. I, we, I ran companies. We did experiments, and some of them worked beautifully. Uh, you know, type next quarter revenues are up with 25%, and others were complete duds. And what I had learned in business school was so academic and so theoretical that it didn't help us to figure out why some of these experiments worked or not. So a dozen years ago, I said to myself, self, why don't you figure out a process that would make every pricing experiment a success? And that is what I've been doing ever since. And that process consists very shortly or very concisely of measuring willingness to pay that could be done very accurately if you do it right, correlating that willingness to pay with decision drivers and, um, and, um, and, and value drivers. These, could be, these drivers could be product features, it could be marketing messages, it could be what, which sales channels you use, et cetera, et cetera. And then you correlate it also with aspects or <clears throat> uh, about the buyer. It could be, if it's B2B, it, 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 it may be um, size of companies, titles, locations, industries, and so forth. If it is a B2C, it is demographics. Um, you know, where they, people live, how old they are, how many kids they have, what they're making, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what that eventually give you is a data-driven go-to-market strategy that leads to you selling to the people who have the highest willingness to buy at the highest prices, that leads you to promote with the marketing that leads to the highest willingness to pay, with the features and functions and the benefits that leads to the highest willingness to pay. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So how, do, how should we as business leaders think about pricing? I mean, because you've got, you got a number of models that you just talked about. So how should we be thinking about pricing? What, what should we put at the forefront to say, okay, uh, do we want to be the low guy, the high guy? Do we want to be the middle, the, the market leader? I mean, what is it we should be looking at that's the, the best positioning for us as a business leader? Well, first, you need to, you, you need to think about that. Pricing has the highest, highest leverage of profits. I mean, any company have profits that comes from only three variables. It's the cost, it's mm -hmm. the sales level, and it's the price of what you sell. And <clears throat> um, a couple of years ago, McKinsey said, you know, they, 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 they said, what if we change one of these variables just a single percent? What will happen with profitability? So they looked at the S&P 500s and they said, what if we reduce costs with 1%? What if we um, uh, increase sales with 1% and so forth? And then A.T. Kearney did the same thing for the Fortune 2000s a couple of years later. And what they both found was that if you increase sales for these average companies, Profitability goes up with three and a half percent. If you reduce cost with one percent, um, uh, 
profitability goes up with five and a half percent. But if you can increase price or decrease uh, rebates with one percent, profitability goes up eleven point three percent. Yeah. So there it's used very to, there simple. Used to be, there used to be something, Piers, when I was in the printing industry, that we had a uh, we had a guru, okay, a pricing expert. And he convinced us and would do these workshops and said, you increase your pricing by 10%, mm-hmm. you'll lose X percentage of your customers, but you'll, you'll still be making more money. Yes, that, that is, um, <laughs> that, that may or may not be, be it, it may be true for your business, but it yeah. may not be true for other businesses because what you're talking about is price elasticity and or elasticity of demand. There is... There's much more to this than just just price elasticity because it could have been <clears throat> it, it it could actually be if you were really underpriced, you would not lose any customers at all. You will gain customers. <laughs> yeah, you would gain customers. Yeah, right? and you know, you know we've been through this so many times where we we sell we 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 measure what what customers to our clients are really willing to pay, and we tell them. Um, that you can really increase prices substantially. And they say, oh, I don't dare. And we say, let's try it. (laughs) And and they try it. And they they, not only do they um, um, see vast increases in revenues, but they get more customers. Mm, And also they get a different kinds of customers because those people who are very, are really price sensitive. Price sensitive customers are never loyal to your customer, to your company, yeah. because as soon as there is somebody else with a similar they product, they just gone. They go. They flee. Well, yeah. uh, speaking about price sensitivity and fleeing, I don't want my uh, my good my good advertisers to flee. So I'm gonna take a quick break and I'll be right back. C Suite Radio. We got Piers Seforce here from Atenia Insights, and we're talking about pricing. Listen, right now, a lot of people are very sensitive about even selling or doing different things. How does, how does that come in with what we're going through in this COVID with the shutdown right now? And soon, I, soon we're starting to see the signs that we're going to have a restart. We're going to go back. But how does pricing weigh into the, this whole you know, mindset around the shutdown? Well, let me give you some examples. We have, um, we measure willingness to pay. That's what we do in my company. And we measured willingness to pay in February. And then we did it again a couple of weeks ago for the same companies. And what we found was that it varies dramatically. We did a garment manufacturer, specialty garment jackets and stuff like that. And what we could see was that those who were willing to pay lower priced garments, their willingness to pay dropped dramatically, 50%. But those who wanted to buy expensive garments, their willingness to pay get up, increased. So what does that say to, to, to the company? They say, stop all promotions for low, you know, low priced product and do mm. all your promotions and campaigns for your high price products right and make more money and and and, and keep your customers <laughs> a phenomenal happier. yeah a phenomenal business model make more money there yeah. you go <laughs> but 
doing that, this it's a, it's a counterintuitive decision. You think I'd, that? The, yeah. I, if you don't mind me asking, I'm going to jump in. How do you measure the willingness to pay? Uh, to stop leaving, you know, how do you how do you measure the willingness to pay to, have, to really stop leaving money on the table? It is price specific online market research. Okay, and, what's that and, mean? Well, it means that we <laughs> we have a method. We go out to the market of our clients, and and we measure specifically what those who are. <laughs> Clients and non-clients to our to our. Uh, uh, so you do like an A/B testing of the, of no, the marketplace. No, it's not A/B testing. It's market okay. research. It's just very specific to um, very specific to to measure willingness to pay in a market. So, and how are you doing that? Are you going and looking at competitive pricing as well? Not even that. Just the the we qualify people so we have a. Um, um, a roster of people that are just the exact customers to our client, and mm-hmm. and and we say through a series of questions and and some AI enabled software we have developed to to create very specific curves of predicting sales volume at different prices. Yeah. So, who are your customers? And what are some of the most common problems that they're asking you specifically to help them solve? Well, our customers are they come to us when you know, a couple of uh, different scenarios. One is they say our business has stagnated. We're not we're not growing as we should. Or they come to us and say, I think we're leaving money on the table, but I mm-hmm. don't know, and I want yeah. to find out. Or they come to us and, and, and they say, I have some products here or some services that I really think should be selling a lot better, and they don't. Or um, the last one is they come to us and say, we have to discount too much. We can't sell at our prices. We have to discount too much. And in some of those cases, what what we find is that the problem actually is not the pricing. It's mm. in pricing you see the the symptoms, but the disease is in marketing. So they are trying to sell something with the wrong messages to the wrong people. Mm. Let me give you an example. We did this... Um, did this uh, project for a manufacturer of lures, fishing lures. Mm-hmm. They had figured out a way to, to paint these lures in a way that was sort of special. And that was their sort of claim to fame. So all their marketing was about how this new color patent on the lures was so good, okay? Now, only about 10% of the market care about the color of the fishing lures, <laughs> 10% of the market. And, and those 10% have a much lower willingness to pay than other people. <laughs> yeah. So what people really care about is the quality of the hooks and the brands of the hooks. And that leads to a willingness to pay that is three times as high 
as those who care about the color. So you see, they had problems selling and they had to discount a lot because they were selling to the wrong people with the wrong message. And just fix that takes no time. And suddenly their, their business is just skyrocketing because they, we, we took gut feel out of the decision mm-hmm. and used data and science instead. Well, talking about talking about lures, I got to go do another commercial and I'll be right back right here because I want to lure you to do more business and buy from the people that uh, advertise on our program. That's the way that makes this world go round. So we'll pause. We'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back. We're live uh, right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as we do a live cast of All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Radio. This is our podcast and we're broadcasting on video as well as we record with some very special guests. And with me today, Piers Showforce, who is with Atenia uh, Insights. And it's a market research firm and all around pricing. All the, uh, you know, these guys are pricing experts. So, how how have you how have you had to adapt? Is it you know as a market research company, you know how have you had to do much ad- adaptation to to sell your own services in the market? Uh, to to adapting to the coronavirus? Yeah, sure. Well, um, we we saw a slowdown in business for about three weeks, mm-hmm. uh, and that slowdown is is gone. People are yeah. now coming back to us, yep. Um, yep. and uh, they're coming back to us, and 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 they're saying that. Our business is not affected, um, um, and, and now it's time. Now, if ever, it is time to make sure we're not leaving money on the table. Yeah. Yep. That, is, yep. that is the message I hear from, 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 from the, uh, the, the marketplace. And this could be um, we currently engage with, uh, you know, products or services for the for, for the um, for the medical industry, a um, cons- couple of consumer products, uh, and um, again, people come to us at this po- moment because they really want to make sure they are not leaving money on the table. So, well, I'm going to leave it with that, and that's I think one of the greatest things that we've talked about is how how important for all of us in business to not leave money on the table. And I want you to hear what else he had to say. You know, everybody slowed down for about three weeks. They're coming back. They're coming back They're coming strong. Back. I Absolutely. said that. I said, yeah, I said that from the beginning. People, don't don't stop. Don't slow. Don't tell don't tell me you got to shut down. I got it. Some businesses are totally affected by this. We get it. Um, that's too bad. I'm sorry. And you know, my business, all of our business get affected in some way, but yeah. you know, we've got, our job is to turn it around. So listen, I want to, our job is yeah, to work harder. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're live right here with Pierce Forrest, Atenya Insights. Thank you so much for being a part of all business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here pleasure, on Jeffrey. C-Suite Radio. Yeah. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thanks. The end of every show. Love to talk about what I learned. And on this segment of the show, I learned that you shouldn't leave money on the table. At least that's, I was reminded of it. I always know that, but uh, you want to not just take everything, but you don't want to leave the money that they're willing to pay you for the value that you provide. And sometimes we do that. You never want to take advantage of it. You always want to have win-win, but you should always take the money off the table where they have a higher value of you than you do of yourself. And that's what I was reminded right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. 
Tell your friends, listen in. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.